Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. This is Rajesh, Sam, Ebenezer, Kadambavnam, David. From Towson, Maryland, Pam Shriver country, I'm delighted to introduce the mellifluous insights of the Tennis Podcast. Thanks very much, Rajesh. Pam Shriver country, Catherine. I wouldn't mind going there if Pam's going to be there. Yes, we had to clarify just before coming on air that it's not called Pam Shriver country. <laughs> Although perhaps yeah, but, it should uh, be. Know. That's what it is to us. Anyway, Rajesh, thank you ever so much for your kind words and your support uh, of our Kickstarter at the end of last year, which enables us to produce a gazillion podcasts all year long, which is what we're doing right now. Um, you're talking, Catherine, hello, uh, and Matt, you're talking to somebody who is partially vaccinated. Oh, right, and, we're going uh, there, are we? Yeah, we're going there. <laughs> okay. And so, so far, so good. Um, I had it about an hour ago, and uh, yeah, I can just about string a sentence together, so I think it's going all right. I believe sort of five hours is the sort of crucial time post oh, post AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, it's a bit oh. like being stung by an Irukandji jelly, jellyfish, right. where there's like an incubation period before you know whether it's it's going to be bad, and the first symptom is uh, an intense sense of dread. Have you got anything better <laughs> to tell me about Matt? I mean, any better news about it? I mean, you'll almost I've... certainly be fine. As the okay. uh, as the uh, man at the uh, boat sales place said when he was holding up the wetsuits for hire, trying to entice us to hire <laughs> them, this will this will reduce your risk of being stung by seventy percent. But if you do get stung, you'll probably die. I mean, oh, in that God case, mate, seventy percent not enough. <laughs> What's the take up on those? Okay, ah, right. Uh, Matt, any better news? Or I was trying to work out where that leaves us as a podcast. Six, about sixteen point seven percent vaccinated. Oh yeah, we all need two. Yeah, I'm That's the good. oldest, by the way, everybody, as you may have guessed. Um, but uh, I, I know I couldn't be happier uh, to, to to have the chance to have. Yes, it. I have. I have a friend whose age I don't know. She's of indeterminate age, despite having been friends with her for a decade. Uh, and I'm hoping that discovering when she gets her vaccine will be how I unearth her age, or at least her age bracket. But presumably you know her age bracket. 
already. Not re- I mean, I know it down to 10 years, but I don't know which side of 40. Why don't you just ask the woman? I have. Oh, okay. Well, while I was waiting in the car mm. for the 15 minutes that you have to wait, I was watching Dan Evans against Novak Djokovic on my phone and, and listening to all of the uh, the chat from Matt on our WhatsApp group, which was going unanswered because I was getting vaccinated at the time. Um, and blummin' heck, we've got a bit of a story on our hands, folks, because in Monte Carlo today, Dan Evans, dirtball Dan, has defeated Novak Djokovic. You just come up with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a few That's hours ago. That's going in the headline for this podcast. Okay. Everybody will already know that. Um, but tell, tell me about it, folks, because I saw I saw the first three games when he was double break up. But what percentage, if you can put it in those terms, was this about him? And what percentage of it was about Novak Djokovic hitting, I think, 40-odd errors in the match? Well, for those first three games that you watched, it was very much about Djokovic hitting probably about 20 of those 40 errors. I mean, Djokovic was awful to start with, could barely find the court um, and looked flat. And Dan Evans just looked so pumped. And he referenced that in his interview with Prime afterwards. He said uh, Djokovic had kept him waiting backstage before coming on court and that had really fired him up um, as if he needed any extra firing for a match like that because he did look pumped throughout, didn't he? He looked like he did in his doubles matches in Miami. Uh, he'd carried that onto the singles court on clay um but then after that i would say look Djokovic wasn't his best and he definitely was flat and irritated i think the conditions were quite a factor in in that and it got windier as the match progressed and we know that Djokovic doesn't doesn't enjoy that um but i i think I think he was waiting for him to go away. When will this guy just go away? You know, I I keep having chances on his serve. I keep sort of eliciting... Because it wasn't a perfect performance from Dan Evans either. He, there was the odd, you know, window of opportunity that opened up where he hit, you know, a pretty horrid error that would have kind of mentally sent a, a lesser player off the boil, I think. They'd have thought, well, that was my one chance against against the world number one. I'm not going to get one of those again. But he swatted those disappointments away and just created other chances. Um, and he was under constant pressure on his serve, constant pressure. He had, uh, Djokovic had chances to break him at, at Evans serving 3-4, and uh, 4-5 in the second set didn't take them. So, look, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't peak Djokovic, but Evans didn't really give him a chance to be, I don't think, taking aside the first three to four games of the first set, that is. What's your take, Matt? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a very accurate assessment. That's That's what I saw as well. I've read some quotes from Djokovic saying that Evans is a nice player to watch, but not a nice player to play against. This was their first ever meeting. He said that Evans dismantled my game. That is quite a quote from Djokovic, who I think was very quickly into his press conference after the match. These were sort of gut reactions from him, but that's, that's clearly how he felt. And Evans did a fantastic job of frustrating Novak Djokovic with slice, manoeuvring the ball around the court, drop shots, bringing him into the net. If you wanted a match to highlight the tennis brain that Dan Evans has got, this was it. 
he really threw Djokovic off, off his rhythm. And it was all the more surprising to me because I'd watched I'd watched Djokovic play Yannick Sinner yesterday and look pretty good for a first match on clay, a first match since the Australian Open. And he was locked in right from the start against Sinner as though he was completely aware of the threat that was down the other end of the court. And he, he was a little bit less focused today against Dan Evans, whereas Evans wasn't. He was right up for it from the start, as we, as we know, given those quotes that he, that he gave. And I think that fast start slightly shocked Djokovic a little bit. But even, even then, there were so many moments where I felt, OK, this is the moment where Djokovic is going to click into gear, take control. And Evans was feisty enough to hang in there and never let Djokovic really really take control of the match um it was certainly an excellent performance from Evans causing Djokovic to be well off his game as well as Djokovic having a bit of a bad day I think I feel like uh, the manner of uh, Dan Evans breaking the Djokovic serve for 6-5 in the second set which left Evans serving for the match I feel like that encapsulates the the match uh, as a whole. So Djokovic is, I, I think Evans has had uh, preceding break points. I think he might have had fifteen forty. Well, it was it was four all in the second set, fifteen thirty. Right, and Evans had an absolute Ugh. sitter on top of the net, a backhand yeah. with the with the whole court free, and he dunked it right in the net. So he never quite got to break point in that four all game, but. I mean, I would have never, ever recovered mm. if, I'd, if I'd hit that shot. I would have just lost every game remaining in the match. Yeah. So for, <laughs> so for Dan Evans to compose himself and regroup after missing that was, was really incredible and, mental strength, I thought. And Yeah, and that's the perfect example, isn't it? So many other players would have gone, well, it's the world number one. That was my chance. I missed it. You don't get other chances. And that's the sort of thing commentators say in that moment. You know, you've got to take your chances against the best players and you just can't afford to to make loose errors like that against them. But he just went, no, I'll just make another chance, thanks. But the way he actually broke was by eliciting a double fault from Djokovic. So so Djokovic, I think, netted on his first serve, missed the first serve anyway. And then this huge gust of wind got up and Djokovic aborted his service motion and took a moment. Dan Evans did a few paces backwards. It was sort of a reset type thing. So the the whole service rhythm has been disrupted and then you could sort of see this glimmer in Evan's eye. He went, oh, hang on. Uh, you know, he's already off the boil here. He's already in, somewhere in the back of his mind going, oh, God, don't double fault. And the wind's a factor. And I think the, the commentator on Prime at, at the, that moment said, well, at, at this stage, you've just got to find the court. Break point down, you know, 20, 30 seconds in between first and second serves. And then Dan Evans crept in crept into, you know, within centimetres of the service line and he got that double fault from Novak Djokovic. It was it was sensational mind gamery. It was great. Mm. Um, Djokovic did actually reference the Sinner match and the difference between the two and how different he felt and, and, and the conditions being very, very windy, etc. Um, but he also made sure everybody knew it was just an awful performance from me and I can take no positives away from it. I would love to see them play each other again in the next month, whether it's in Madrid or in Rome or at Roland Garros, because I know what 
Evans is like, a little bit like Murray is like, when when somebody winds them up a bit, they play better. But I think Djokovic is the same. And I think he won't forget this. <laughs> and he will... Because, I mean, yes, I think Evans's game discombobulated him a bit and he has to try to work it out. And I also think because he just kept diffusing him with the backhand slice, he just refused to... To, to to let him get the upper hand because he just kept on getting the damn thing back. It must be so irritating when you're just trying to assert yourself. Um, next time, I mean, I, I, I've seen a few of these. Remember when Dimitrov beat Djokovic uh, in Madrid a few years ago and then they played again and you kind of take that into the next one and you think this might be a thing now. Um, we've had it with Hewitt playing the Dow and pushing him, at, I think, in Hamburg one year, and then they played at Roland Garros a couple of weeks later, and he could barely get games. And and I think that, yeah, Djokovic will probably underline his, his status the next time they play and go out with a bit of extra about him. Because I, I think it must be quite... I, we've talked about this before. It becomes increasingly difficult for these all-time greats to get up for these events in the same way they do for the for the major tournaments. Um, yeah, and, and, and realistically, sounds- no, I mean realistically, he probably Djokovic wouldn't be playing this tournament were it not in his back garden. Pretty mm. much, it's the location. It's not the size of event; it's the location. I think which is prompting him to play this. Yeah. So. And it's in this rustiness and, and all the rest of uh, of it uh, about him. And I don't want. I know that probably sounds like I'm not giving Evans credit, and I I don't intend that to be the case because I think he was fantastic, really. I mean, he and and it's been the same all week long. Uh, the the first round match he had, which uh, which he required several match points in order to win, um, and then. He beat uh, Hercatch in the in the second round, who I don't think was very good, was he? But but again, Evans has been excellent and deserves his place in the quarterfinals. Um, but yeah, um, I think we know there's a, there's an element of where we are in the season about the results. Yeah, and I think that is especially true about Djokovic. I mean, he told us after winning the Australian Open that he's he's shifted his priorities even more than he already had towards the Grand Slams, and I think first tournament back after the Australian Open, first tournament back on the clay, is probably going to be about as vulnerable as he gets. Still, I think he, he was capable of playing a lot better than he did today, judging by what we saw against Sinner. Um, and yes, Djokovic's bad performance is ultimately probably the main reason for this loss to Evans. But as we've said, Evans did so many good things on the court today. And the achievement for Evans, who coming into this tournament had won two ATP matches on clay in his whole career. Both of those were four years ago in Barcelona. He'd also won two in Davis Cup. But one of those was against Mate Pavic, I was looking. <laughs> in singles. So, <laughs> in singles, yeah. So <laughs> that, is, that is basically a guy with so little experience of winning matches on clay at this level. He was also having real trouble closing out matches generally, taken so many close defeats building up to this tournament against Karatsev, against Federer, against Musetti, against TFO. It felt to me like he'd kind of forgotten how to win. And then he beats Lejovic in the first round, as you said, with a really, really tight match where he needed multiple match points, dropped the second set, won it in the third then he beat the most recent Masters 1000 champion, Hubert Hurkacz, in the second round. 
and now he's beaten Novak Djokovic, the world number one, in straight sets. That is that is such a leap he's taken to reach his first Masters 1000 quarterfinal in such a short space of time on the surface that has been his weakest throughout his whole career. For all of those things to come together is really remarkable and very much deserved, I think. Catherine, the similarities with Evans and Henman circa 2002 to 2004 on clay, when he just seemed to crack clay, in his own way, were uncanny, really, weren't they? And I mean, I think I always feel like you remember that period maybe more than any of any of us. Even though I I was covering 2002 Monte Carlo when he reached the semis, and I. I watched a fair bit of 04, but I mean, it always clashed with Queens and all the rest of it, uh, the, 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 the quarterfinals, semifinals, etc. But it's quite something really, isn't it, to, to watch these guys do that? Yeah, because those were the years where the clay court season, season clashed with my study leave, David. So <laughs> vivid memory of every the single match. <laughs> yeah, 2002 was GCSEs. So then we had AS levels and then A levels. So, yeah, if right. if there is that- any match from that period <laughs> that you would like uh, a detailed David Law, Pete Sampras match type uh, regaling about, then uh, I'm your woman. How old were you, Matt, at the time? Uh, six to eight. <laughs> well, at least he was at least he was with us. <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny. Um, Yes, so I actually uh, have just been on YouTube watching some highlights of Tim Hemmer matches during that period on clay to try and get straight in my head exactly how how clear the similarities are. Um, And, you know, it's, it's not... It's not a hundred percent like for like the forehand was a bigger weapon for for Tim Hemman than than it is for for Dan Evans, but I'd say the the when he does choose to hit throw it the the backhand for Dan Evans is has really flourished as a weapon on on clay this week in a way that that I think Henman was hitting over it even less than than Dan Evans, but the similarities are more that. He wasn't a hundred. He didn't say, "Oh God, I'm never going to win a point from the back of the court, so I'll just serve volley, chip, and charge um, every chance I get." But equally, he had dispelled the whole "Well, it's clay; you can't serve and volley" thing. It was a really lovely balance of having a bit of belief from the back of the court, not just bailing on any rally, going on more than three shots from the back of the court, and thinking, "Well, I'm Tim Henman; this can't possibly work." But equally, just this this willingness to to come to the net where appropriate, just dispelling all of the tropes and myths about clay court tennis, really. And it's so brilliantly watchable, that kind of tennis on clay. Um, and in, in that respect, the the, um, the comparisons are absolutely there. Um, and it, yeah, that was a joy to watch at the time. That Tim Hemman run to the French Open semi-finals and almost the final was is one of my favourite tennis watching memories seeing someone crack clay um and i i have to say i didn't think dan evans had it had it i mean look he's he's not in a french open semi-final yet i know we shouldn't get carried away but i didn't think he had this in him at all i interviewed him at roland garros it was probably coming into the clay after his when he'd had the run at the australian open where he'd beaten chile that was 2017 wasn't it and uh, i was looking for positives to ask him about (laughs) 
uh, on the eve of the French Open. You know, yes, I know clay's not your favourite surface, but what a year you're having. Do you believe you can carry that onto the clay and put a run together here? And he just pretty much said no. It was a really awkward interview. He said, no, I can't do clay. I'm Dan Evans. And uh, obviously that was funny at the time, but also a little bit depressing. And mm. it's it's such a turnaround from that, isn't it? It's such a turnaround. It's, it's great to see. I remember we were watching just a few weeks ago him play Lorenzo Mazzetti in his first match on clay this year in Italy. And he was getting taken apart in the first set. I think he lost it 6-1. And he was trying to rally from the back of the court with Mazzetti. And there was a moment at the start of the second set where he screamed in the direction of his box, play your own game. And it was like he just had a sudden realisation that this isn't working. I'm never going to be able to beat these guys purely playing from the back of the court. He was looking like fish out of water, really uncomfortable. And then he turned that match around. He didn't win it, but he pushed it. He pushed Mazzetti to get to a final set tiebreak. And he's he's carried that on in Monte Carlo this week. It's something has, has clicked for him in terms of having the confidence to play his own way and see how far it takes him. And it's working. Mm. He did that hilarious return position, didn't he? Where mm. he was, where he was. I mean, it's so cheeky, just standing virtually, you know, maybe about two feet behind the service line, you know, hey, way inside the baseline. It got him a break of serve against the world number one today. Oh, absolutely! It's, definitely, it's definitely brilliant. has something to it. Uh, he's it's been, clever. He's it's been clever. Doing, Use what you got. Uh, the Gabriella Sabatini episodes of Tennis Relived. That's what he's been doing. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, <laughs> he faces David Goffin next. So we got five foot nine Evans against five foot eleven, apparently, of David Goffin. It's um, not accurate. Uh, that's what it says on the ATP website. Uh, but anyway, pff, cracking win for David Goffin, who I'm quite pleased for. I mean, he beat uh, Alexander Zverev today. I think six four seven six, and uh, Zverev, I think kind of disgraced himself a bit the way he flung his racket away at the end of the match in the direction it seemed to me of his own support team who was sitting out to his left and he just flung it sort of at a right angle across the court in their direction what, what was he them, right? Didn't it hit what them. was he wearing for that match oh is there some sort was of it the long same thing he was wearing number? yesterday mm. yeah. yeah very um as i said on the whatsapp yesterday very josh hartnett circa know, 2002 yeah, the faculty nobody did that's why i'm repeating it i'm hoping it gets a, a <laughs> more receptive will. audience this time yeah all right you know well, the, e- the you know the era where young boys wore a t-shirt over a long sleeved shirt and oh right and you know yeah, my son it was that. it was yeah. the coolest hottest thing a young boy could do you know, yeah. 20 my, years my ago. My son isn't aware that that, that that was cool 20 years ago. Um, he just sees footballers do it. <laughs> so he's doing it. Uh, but anyway, now Zverev's doing it. And he's lost in straight sets. So um, uh, David Goffin, though, who's had a... I don't know, I just feel a bit sorry for Goffin. Because he, 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 he's talked about how miserable he's found bubble life, hasn't he? And a bit of a struggle and... And he suddenly seems to have got his form going again. But that could be quite a spectacle of a match, couldn't it, Matt, on clay, those two? Absolutely, yeah. That is that is right up my street, that kind of match. Lots of variety, lots of interesting rallies, I should think. Um, I was keeping one eye on that. I was mainly watching Evans Djokovic this morning. But from what I saw, it really looked like Gov- David Goffin was the better player. He was the one 
trying to dictate the points with his forehand. You know, that, that little quick footwork he's got to get round his backhand and hit the forehand. I love watching that. And he needed a lot of match points. It was getting a bit bit sticky for him in that tie break. But uh, yeah, that's an impressive win. He didn't lose serve in the whole match against Ferrer on clay. So I would suggest some more uh, sneaky return tactics from Evans might be needed against Goffin to draw out some breaks of serve because it sounds like he's playing really well, Goffin. Expect mm. backhands down the line in that one. Lovely, lovely backhands down yeah. the line. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Stefano Sitsipas also through to the quarterfinals. He will face Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, who uh, has had a bit of a breakout week, hasn't he? He's beaten Luca Pui today, and uh, he's starting to get somewhere. He's he's an interesting chap to watch because, I mean, he's not he's not your standard Spanish clay quarter, is he? I mean, he does prefer the clay. I think he's actually a junior Wimbledon champion, but he, he is most at home on clay, I believe. And he's he's very fun to watch. Drama is never far away when you're watching him. I always get the sense that he might be about to implode. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, I'm watching that tomorrow. Yeah, he's he's really good fun. Um, I do think he'll have his work cut out against Sitsapas. The more I see Sitsapas on clay, the more that just makes a lot of sense to me. It seems to really accentuate the strengths in his game and nullify some of the weaknesses the fact he's got so much more time on the ball that return of serve we've talked about being a weakness is just it's just not on the clay and he was he was very good against Christian Garin today uh, hello what is this new pronunciation do we need to know about it well I've discovered there's an accent on the I which which would mean that's where the emphasis is okay okay I'm Noted. going with you Matt that's fine yeah. Because, I mean, like, it's accurate. Uh, Christian Garin, who had beaten Sitsipas brothers in doubles, apparently, the day before. So mm. Sitsipas has got his revenge. Well, did you watch the win for the Sitsipas brothers in doubles, though, the previous I round? Saw the, I saw the hug, which was prolonged. Well, that probably took up half your day, Yeah, watching that the was, hug. That happened. And I also saw a rant from Stephanus in the direction oh. of the umpire, which I didn't enjoy. He had a right go. Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, you know, we like aggro here, but that wasn't... It was Arno Gabas Oh, hang on, again. hang on. I think I, I have seen this. Yes, I saw it as part of an Arno Gabas montage, a sort of oh, why God. always me montage. Um, there, is an inc- there, is, there is definitely an increasing trend of the variety of umpire abuse along the lines of who do you think you are you've never played the game you don't you don't understand the game you've got no right to be here and that worries me yeah that worries me because he because he told him to go back to futures where you Mm. belong i think which first of all is first of all is quite a take when he's playing with his brother who's ranked (laughs) what 900 and something in the world um second of all there's just a lot nicer ways to (laughs) to get across your displeasure <laughs> about a line call. It was, yeah, it was out of order, really. Sorry. I think a, a, that was that was quite the takedown, Matt. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things with Stephanus is because he's, he's a bit different generally, I mean, I, and I love him for it in so many ways, and there's an awkwardness to his, his behaviour at times it's not quite what you expect and sometimes he doesn't get the gag or he tells a gag that doesn't work and 
And equally, his rant like that felt over the top. It felt too much mm. for the situation, you know, and it felt, yeah, un unpleasant. Didn't really enjoy watching that. And usually we love a rant. Um, anyway, uh, they're out of the doubles. Um, as is Felix Sorgiano seem out of the singles. Mm. That hasn't started too well with uh, Uncle Tony. Uh, played one, lost one. Straight sets defeat. I, I mean, I, I I tend to say this sort of stuff when a new coach gets together and a new player, they lose a match, and I'm like, oh, this isn't working then, is it? Um, <laughs> but, which is horrendously unfair. But, um, yeah, it's it's not an auspicious start, is it? Who, who did he lose to? I don't even know. Matt watched this one as part of a multi-screen event. Yeah, he lost to our man Christian Garin again. Oh. Um, who is a very good clay quarter. And I think the result is not necessarily a bad one. I think you can lose to him on clay. He's got, what, five titles on the surface, I think. The manner of the defeat was slightly alarming. Felix was well in control of the match. It was then delayed. They had to go off for rain. I think it was on Monday. They came back on Tuesday and Felix just didn't, just didn't have it. He was making loads and loads of unforced errors it was a similar consequence to what has happened to him in the finals that he's played, where suddenly his game just looks, he just goes completely off and he starts racking up so many unforced errors and he doesn't seem to have a way to stop it from just sort of running away from him. Um, he didn't look as inhibited as he's looked in those finals by nerves or pressure or whatever. It was just a really bad performance. But I think, you know, I do think we have to give those coaching partnerships some time i was thinking perhaps this is just tony nadal's ploy or ruse to just be with rafa nadal again because he he was then watching nadal's matches from the balcony <laughs> it's like felix is out in round one. Oh, i'll just i'll just hang on and while watch I'm here. Raphael till he until he wins the tournament while i'm here exactly well he's doing all right as old nadal uh he, he lost two games today against poor old grigor dimitrov six one six one and he's wearing a loud outfit, is uh, Nadal. He's wearing all purple with pink pink shoes, I think. Or no, purple mm. shoes and pink something else. There's pink trim in the outfit. We're definitely back to the 80s on, on the shorts front, aren't we? Yes, mm. short. Mm. Very, very short. <laughs> Billie Jean the dog has just appeared on Catherine's <laughs> shoulder, which is a bit of a turn-up. Um, hello, Billie Jean. Do you want to get on the show or something? <laughs> um, but anyway, Nadal's lost so far in two matches. He's lost five games. Um, so, Did you hear the quotes he gave about Dimitrov after the match? Oh, no. No. It was a terrible performance from Dimitrov. He revealed he's, he's been struggling with toothache and has, has really not Ooh. been sleeping at all and just is not in any fit shape to be playing Nadal at the moment. And he was... I mean, every time I looked up at that match, he was basically missing a forehand, Dimitrov. And Nadal said after the match, he played a very bad match. That's the true no. The score is his fault. Oh. <laughs> Coming from brutal. Nadal is, is really oh. both sort of accurate and brutal. Crikey. Mm. Well, I mean, he didn't mean sad. it. But, mm. So Nadal now gets either Rublev or Bautista Agu, which is next, uh, which is currently going on, actually. Um, yeah. I, I would quite like to see Nadal Rublev. Um, I'd like to see if Don't Rublev can Rublev make any... would. I don't know. I want to see if he could... I, I reckon he'd, be, he'd love to have a go, you know. You think he'd have a go? his yeah. forehand about, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. Let's see how many games Rub- has won Rublev on Monday is wearing. We I mean, it's probably the same size as the kit that Nadal's wearing, but it's just draping off him like a yeah. sort of scarf, so, like a caftan. Whereas different, Nadal's different is like a sort of lycra bodysuit. <laughs> it takes all sorts, doesn't it, tennis? Uh, so, yeah, we've got. We've got loads going on. Fanini against Krajinovic is later today. Rude against no, Krajinovic. No, Fanini won. Moment. Oh, did he? Yeah, Fanini, who is, who's the defending champion. And yeah. possibly even, well, no. I was going to say, even with Djokovic in the draw, Fanini might be the biggest threat to Nadal on clay. Certainly yeah. now, now that Djokovic is out, for sure. I mean, he's beaten Nadal a number of times on clay, including the yeah, last but- time in this tournament. So... He's probably the one that you would circle as a threat to Nadal, and I think they could meet in the semis. Semis, yeah. Um, mind you, 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 you know, don't forget my man Casper Ruud, who I keep telling you about, who's going to just rip it up this clay court season, even though he let me down last week in the predictions. And uh, Novak Djokovic has let me down today, so it's going really well. Your exact words on Ruud, David, were, I love Ruud on clay, might pick him every week of the clay season. <laughs> If he stays fit, he's going to hurt people big time this year. Yes. So after a week of failure, you reverted to picking the world number one, such as your (laughs) massive faith in Casper Ruud. I I do regret that a bit now. (laughs) Now that Djokovic is out. Um, Anyway. Ruud beat Schwartzman. Yes. Well, there you go. See? Told you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So let's have a look at what's going on in Charleston at the moment. Who, who, somebody's picked Shelby Rogers to win the title amongst us. Who was it? That was me. Yeah. All right. And she's, she's in the quarterfinals, which is a bit annoying. So is Clara uh, Towson. No offence, Shelby. So is Clara Towson, oh, yeah. David. Yeah, I she thrashed Isla Tomlianovic mm. overnight. I saw, I saw a couple of points out of that. 
Crikey, what's she got against could, tennis Could balls? it be a Towson-Rogers final? Is that possible? Could we go head-to-head come Sunday? Well, I can exclusively reveal that they are in opposite <laughs> halves of the draw. <laughs> can, how evident, like when, how Ali, evident was it there that none of us had the draw open in front of us? Do you think we got it's away with like it? Elise Corne said, uh, uh, just between us, uh, this is what I think. And she said that on national TV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> While she was slamming the French sports minister. <laughs> oh, superb. Yeah, so Towson is in the, the bottom half of the draw and uh, uh, Shelby Rogers in the top half. Yeah, so it's uh, Charleston number two is being played at the moment. Um, we also have the Bogota champion going strong. Remember, we talked about on Monday, Maria Camilla Osorio Sorano. She beat the second seed Magda Lynette in the first round in Charleston. So uh, she continues to impress um, could play Towson next. Ooh. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Can and we, we've had a fifteen-year-old. We've had a fifteen-year-old win a match in uh, Charleston. In fact, she's beaten Cornet, who retired with a, a leg injury at four-all in the third set. Fifteen-year-old Linda Fruvatova. Oh, it's not often you um, you meet a Linda under forty, is it? <laughs> no, no. A fifteen-year-old Linda. <laughs> yes, correct. That's- Lin- uh, Linda's making a comeback. It'll be Janet yeah. next. <laughs> <laughs> Linda. Right, let's have a look where Linda's from. She is Czech. from the Czech Republic, yes. And she's playing uh, Emma Navarro of the United States. Who's Nature. also a teenager. Mm. They're everywhere. Moves very well, does uh, Fruvatova. I, I watched a, a rally from this match with Cornet on uh, on Twitter and they were all over the shop. Coco Goff um, is going to be sort of yesterday's woman soon, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, she's going to be a veteran soon, isn't she? And, and um, Chris Everett speaks highly of Linda Fruvatova. She said she practised at my academy for a few weeks in January and was very impressive playing sets with WTA pros and competing with them, showing confidence and skill. She's got it. Ooh. Oh, that's a Greg well, Rosetskyism. <laughs> she's got what? Yeah, but... She's got what I call it. It's one of my favourites. <laughs> imagine if, imagine if Chris. I mean, I wonder whether Linda's heard of Chris ever. No, of course she has, because she's you know at her academy. But I mean, you know, imagine if a woman who's done what Chris Everett has done said that about you. She'd I don't, better have heard I don't of Chris Everett. I'm joking. It's like a really scaled up version of when Andy Murray tweeted about Caroline Garcia. That he he referenced she's going to be world uh, number one. He referenced Mark that to words. me the other day that he felt bad. Well, he, he felt it's he'd sort of put too much pressure up, on her. Yeah, you know, it's always brought up. And I mean, look, I I kind of feel like on one hand you would just feel like a king or a queen chris Everett saying this about you at the same time yeah it's uh it does ramp it up a bit um mm. if if somebody that great thinks that you have got it um so yeah i was reading yeah. that even though she's now playing some matches on the wta tour she's planning to play the juniors at roland garros and wimbledon this summer and she said she wants the experience of feeling like she should win and mm. trying to win, which I thought was quite interesting, rather mm. than necessarily trying to play up a level and really compete with some of the best players in the world, you know, 
try and make it through qualifying, for example, she's decided that she thinks the best thing will be to try and have that pressure on her shoulders and seeing if she can live up to it, which I thought was quite mm. interesting. That's very interesting. I would definitely go that route. I would definitely want to play players considerably worse <laughs> than me and just get loads and loads and loads of wins, you know. Yes, but then I would have, what if I don't win, in the back mm. of my mind. <laughs> um, the uh, the Billie Jean King Cup is uh, to take place over the next few days, the, uh, the qualifying uh, rounds and Britain are playing in the UK at the National Tennis Centre at the LTA. They're playing against Mexico starting tomorrow. Uh, and Katie Bolter has been given the second single spot next to Heather Watson uh, in the two matches tomorrow. I think that's on streamed on BBC Sports website. I think it's also live on the LTA's uh, social media channels and on TikTok. Uh, is it streamed on TikTok? Oh, I don't, I don't, I haven't got With, to. like, a, a musical accompaniment? <laughs> Very possibly. I don't know. I'm quite intrigued. Oh, I will have a look. If somebody tell me how to get it, I will have a go. Uh, Svitolina and Kostyuk are in action for Ukraine against Japan. Leila Fernandez is leading the Canadian team against Serbia. And Putitseva and Rybakina are playing for Kazakhstan against Argentina, who are led by Podoroska in Cordoba. Putin Saver, that brings back some memories from two years ago <laughs> when mm. it used to be called Fed Cup and they played against Britain. That was fun, Those were wasn't great it? days. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly two years ago. Um, and I was commentating on that. It's a lot of fun. Um, and now the other bit of news that's come out over the last few days has been uh, reported by Simon Briggs, amongst others, uh, a couple of really good interesting pieces by Simon one which is revealing all about the Wimbledon expansion plans you may remember a few years ago they bought the golf course that is adjacent to the All England Tennis Club with ideas to expand into it and particularly the goal is to bring the qualifying competition on site to Wimbledon at the moment it's played in Roehampton off site um, they want to have it more like the other Grand Slams so it can all be on site um, and uh, and yeah he, he's written about the expansion plan and his view of it doesn't sound as dramatic and spectacular as maybe some people thought it might do uh, initially when the decision was made and the announcement was made that they were going to buy this golf course but Simon I think Catherine thinks that is for the better and more in keeping with Wimbledon generally is that fair? Mm, I, it, it, the plans look very modest I'm sure once we see them come to fruition they will be spectacular um, I wonder, I'm sure they would never admit to it, but I wonder if some inspiration has been drawn from the Simone Mathieu court and uh, that uh, site extension or expansion uh, at Roland Garros because the plans for the Parkland court, which is the one sort of major structure which is planned to be built in the uh, newly acquired area, it does sound quite similar to the description of Simon Mathieu, sort of very um, uh, in keeping with the environment, uh, sort of a continuity with the greenery, uh, bringing the the outdoors, indoors, that sort of vibe. And of course, the Simon Mathieu has the greenhouse thing going on and is an absolute thing of beauty. I mean... I, I, all all new tennis stadia should be inspired by the Simone Mathieu court. I love it. Um, so, yeah, I think it sounds... I mean, 
they don't need loads of big, massive new show courts, do they? Uh, at Wimbledon, I think I think modesty probably is the right direction, and they they know how to do these things, Wimbledon, don't they? I do I do trust that they'll yeah they'll get this right. I mean, there is a part of me that is a bit sad about qualifying no longer being at Roehampton. I I do love Roehampton qualifying, but I totally understand from Wimbledon's perspective why they why they want to bring it in house. Yeah, feels just about time, I would say, to, to be making this call. Um, just to elaborate a little bit on what those plans are, there will be an 8,000-seat additional show court in these grounds, which will effectively be the third biggest court that they have behind Centre Court and, and Court Number 1. But even even that, I mean, that's not that big. And the uh, they, they, they're they trying to stay away from high-rise buildings and all of that sort of thing. Um, but they do intend to add 39, I think it was, additional grass courts, which almost pretty much doubles the number at the All England Club at the moment. Um, so the only thing is, Matt, we've got a good old weight on our hands because this is 2028 before qualifying is likely to be brought onto the site at Wimbledon. I mean... That feels like a long way away, but I suppose these things do. It's a bit like when you when the World Cup gets uh, given to a, a nation and it feels forever away and then it's upon you. Yes. When were the London Olympics announced? 2005, wasn't it? So there was a, mm. a seven-year wait which felt like forever and then suddenly it's here. I suppose we'll, we'll feel like that about Wimbledon. What really struck me reading Simon's piece about these plans was something that I think I knew but I hadn't properly processed was just how much bigger it is going to make the site. It would be it would be more than double the size of the biggest Grand Slam complex at the moment. Wow. And Church Road is going to close during the tournament so that people can flow, I, I, I suppose, from the main part of the Wimbledon grounds as we know it now to this expanded site Um I'm sure it will be sensitively and very tastefully done and just give so much more space, just give it room to breathe. I don't think Wimbledon is as cramped as Roland Garros has been, but it can feel pretty pretty busy when you're at Wimbledon, whereas the capacity is only going to increase 8,000 per day, but there's going to be so much more space for those people to be in. I think it's just going to make it a way more pleasant experience to be on the ground it is going to have a transformative effect even if what is actually in the expanded site is not perhaps quite as grand as we were expecting i think simon pointed out that he was maybe expecting there to be a rival henman hill area with another big screen but it doesn't sound like rosetsky hill. <laughs> doesn't sound like that's going to be a thing but it is still going to going to have a big impact on that tournament when it when it arrives okay well i think that's just about it for this edition of the tennis podcast unless uh, we have anything else we need to cover um i am going to catch up on some tennis watching over the weekend provided i'm feeling all right um so far so good two hours old uh, is my vaccination and uh yeah no problems at all so far. Um, we have a mascot for the week, which is George, owned by Ailey. And uh, we have already seen pictures galore of, of George and put, put them in our newsletter, which you can sign up to in our show notes if you would like to. Uh, we also have our own individual mascots. There is Zeus for Catherine. Want to say hello to Zeus, Catherine? I, I do, yeah. 
I met, um, well, not met. I heard of another Alsatian this week called Zeus. Did you? Maybe it's a thing. Maybe there's yeah. a club. Not as good as ours. If there is, I'm in it. Yeah. Uh, Matt uh, has Scousel Mousel. Um, do you want to say hello? Always. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a rogue. All right, rogue. Uh, I, I'm, I'm at, we're having a bad run with the old predictions, but next week's our week, I think. Uh, Billie Jean King is sponsoring Billie Jean the dog, who is just standing there looking at Catherine as if to say, are we going a walk or what? Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer, and we have shout-outs, Matt, which and whom are? Ian Etienne. Oh, Ooh. Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello, Ian. Very English name and a very French name. Yeah, mm. I wonder what the origins Lovely. are. Lovely. Doesn't Etienne mean Stephen? Oh, yes, of course, that makes sense. Etienne always makes me think of Saint-Etienne, which makes me think of 1998 England v Argentina, uh, Michael Owen Wondergoal. There you go, Ian. Thanks very much for your support. <laughs> Who else we got, Matt? We have Kirsty Turner. All right, Kirsty. Hello, Kirsty. Yeah. Uh, like Phil and Kirsty. I hope Kirsty's uh, British or else she will not get that reference. I don't And get even it. if she is, you might not. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> oh, come on. Everyone knows Phil and Kirsty. No. Who is it? You never watched Love It or List It? Or Location, Location, Location? <laughs> what are they? Or even like her various crafting shows, which I don't watch, to be fair. No, but I'm going anyway. to look them up. Anyway, I prefer our Kirsty. All right, Kirsty, thanks ever so much for your support. Who else we got? Rona Staunton. Rona? What a great name Rona is. No, Brona. Oh, bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> Brona. What a great name that is. Even better, an extra letter. <laughs> oh, it's going well, this, isn't it? Catherine will be presenting next week, folks. That'll be way better. <laughs> it's a very very lovely Irish name, Brona, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I, I, it needs I've to got... be said in a sort of lovely Irish lilt. Don't, I mean, I'm, Which I don't, don't do that. But, yeah. Brona. No, that's not right. No, no. <laughs> that's Italian. That was... That was... <laughs> Brona, send us an audio recording of your name so we know how to say it. <laughs> or at least I do. I think, uh, right. just, I think it is Brona. I think we're pronouncing Brona. it right. We just... Yeah. Maybe I'll just say it in my well, accent, I hope so, Brona. anyway. Right. Okay, uh, right. Well, I think it's time to. Go. I think I think the vaccination's kicking in, folks. Um, so I, I'm off to go and uh, have something to eat and take my son to football. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Tennis Podcast. Do leave us an iTunes review uh, or Apple Podcasts, as apparently they call it these days. Um, and yeah, tell your friends about the Tennis Podcast. And we'll be coming to you every single week, twice a week, and daily at the Slams. And we'll be back Monday. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 